20 years. I was like, wow. I not only noticed that it's really hot in Florida, but also I had noticed that there's no grass hardly in Florida. It's all burnt up. And the majority of the yard is sand and grass. While we were driving near our the host, the house, the host, the house that we were staying at, I noticed the neighbor was mowing his lawn. And while he, what lawn he had was very little, and most of it was sand. And so while he's mowing the lawn, there's this dog that was walking behind him, and he would go up and down, and this old dog was following him up and down. And I, I thought about this. It stuck with me that in life, we all have followers. You have a follower whether you think so or not. People are following you. They're watching you. They're noticing you. And you're following somebody as well. We all do. That's just who we are as human beings. How many of you are into social media? Would you raise your hand? Be very honest. Don't be lazy now, y'all. Raise your hand if you're into it. Okay. Let's do a little survey here. How many of you use Instagram? Raise your hand. Yes. Facebook. Uh, Twitter. TikTok? Really? Any TikTok? Yes? All right. Do you feel like you have a lot of followers? Do you feel like you're one of those people that really are worth following? Anybody? Just, I mean, I don't want you to be arrogant. I want you to be honest. Do you feel like you got some followers? A few? The reality is I don't. I, I have a, a Twitter account and I looked and I'm like, nobody's following me. But, but then I realized you have to follow people in order to be you know, in order to have people follow you. And, and then I started thinking, throughout life, I haven't had a whole lot of followers. Even when I was a kid, you know, follow the leader. I couldn't get kids to follow me as a leader. That's the problem. But there was something that changed over time. I mean, we follow things, right? We get amped up about technology and social media and we follow, whether you like it or not, you're a follower of some kind of technology. How many of you are iPhone fans? Would you raise your hand? Yes. How about Android? Losers. Android fans. I say losers and there's my wife back there raising her hand. She hasn't converted yet. How many are dogmatic fans of iPhone? You're like, you are going to die being an iPhone person. Would you raise your hand? A few of you? That's cultic. It's weird. It's a little disturbing. You know, the, the fact is people are going to choose to follow that which is good or that which is bad. The year I was born in 1978, which was not that long ago, it really wasn't, there was a guy named Jim Jones that made a horrible decision for all of his followers, and that was to allow them to drink poison, and every one of them, because they were following the wrong person, ended up dying. The reality is, there were so many people that died, it was overwhelming for the media to cover because it was 914 people, but the most disturbing part of it was 276 of them were kids because they were following their parents in the wrong direction. Listen, we're not very good when it comes to following the right thing because we're human beings. But I got good news for you. There's some things in our life over time, if we follow Christ and focus that God allows and these followers that will come in our lives, and let me get to a point here, that change us. Let me bring it to this. It was August the 13th, Friday the 13th, out of all days. It was 1993 in a little town, town called Resaca, Georgia. This happened to me. Everything changed for me. It was hot. Boy, it was so humid. It was around 12.30 in the afternoon. And on that day, that afternoon, I had two profound followers that introduced themselves to my life. 
This <laughs> almost sounds a little creepy. But it was at that moment that everything changed for me. It was at that moment as a 14-year-old kid, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, everything changed. And who were the followers? Well, I want to introduce you to my followers, and they're the same ones that you have if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So I want you to focus on one of the most powerful passages of Scripture found in the book of Psalms, Psalms 23. This passage of Scripture has been memorized. It's been quoted at funerals. It's been used numerous times in numerous ways. It's referred to as the Psalm of Psalms, the Pearl of Psalms, the Shepherd's Psalm. It, it, it illustrates the beginning of a Christian's life in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When he becomes your shepherd, all your focus is on him and you don't need or want anything else. And then it continues all the way until verse 6 and you see the end of a Christian's life. But between verse 1 and verse 6 is the journey of a Christian's life. And how the shepherd, the good shepherd provides. Verse 6, it all changes. Because we're at the end of that uh, of our life as believers, as sheep following the shepherd. So you see the beginning of a Christian's life and the end of a Christian's life. And it's all beautiful and symbolic because it's pictured as the sheep following the shepherd and the good shepherd being represented by God himself. But in verse, as we read through this, as we read toward the end of the passage of, of, uh, of um, 23, Psalms 23, you see in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I didn't realize as a 14-year-old boy that giving my life to Jesus Christ meant more than just having a home in heaven. It meant that my life here on earth was going to be so different, so satisfying, not perfect, but different from everybody else that is without Christ. Because I have something in my life called followers that are better than anybody on social media. It was goodness and mercy. And at that moment when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I didn't really fully understand what goodness and mercy would mean to me. These followers. Let me, let me say this. I, I believe... Let, let, can we do this? Can we just get real for a minute? And I mean... Sometimes preachers get up and they speak, and it's just not real. You know what I'm saying? They just go through the points, and they, they're just not very transparent. But I want us to be real. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to really focus on who you are and where you are with Christ. When I was 14 and gave my life to Jesus Christ, goodness and mercy started to follow me. And the things they did for me in my life were so unique and so profound let me show you a couple of those things. I realized that goodness and mercy, the followers that I had, were more than just fans. They were there to the end. Fans can change. There, there's, there's so many people that question my, my manhood because I'm not a football fan. You know, I don't want... If I was, I would be an Alabama fan if I, if I was going to be a fan of football at all. Uh, I have a few boos here, but I grew up in Alabama, but I would never be like Zach Smart, who was a huge Alabama fan, uh, to the point because he was the fourth generation Alabama fan, he, he spent $1,700 to have the mascot, Alabama's mascot, an elephant put on his back. I don't think I'd ever go that far, 
But I want to tell you something about goodness and mercy. They love you. They care about you because they represent the good shepherd in such a way. If they were to have a tattoo, it would be of you. I know that seems unique and unusual, but I'm going to tell you something. I, you've got to understand when you become a believer in Jesus Christ that the love and compassion that Christ has for you, the goodness and mercy He's going to show to you, never stops. When things go south, it's not like a fan that says, you know, I'm going to get another team to follow. No, they continue to follow you everywhere you go. There's been multiple preachers that believe that verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and all the way down to verse, uh, verse 5, we see this beautiful picture of a symbolic picture of the shepherd and the sheep. But then they think around verse 5, it changes. Actually, some believe that verse 5 and 6 is a cultural picture. It's not necessarily a symbolic picture of a shepherd and the sheep. But I believe it is a continuation of the picture and the symbolic picture of the shepherd and the sheep. Because verse Verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Shepherds, not sheep, but shepherds, will go to a plain of land that's flat and green, and it's considered a table. And that table, as shepherds would refer to it, is an area where it would be surrounded by trees and forests that often would have predators in there. And that's why the Bible refers to thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. We think immediately to the Old Testament and King David being anointed with oil, that royalty, that recognition of you are the chosen king. But also we know, according to biblical history, that a shepherd would take a sheep and anoint it with oil to help the wool, but also to, to sustain the, shep, the sheep because they would often get these infections in their skin, and this would prevent that. So the anointing of oil is very symbolic of, of, of what we see between the shepherd and the sheep. But then you see this surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And how does that relate to the shepherd and the sheep? Sheepdogs will come behind the flock and make sure that the flock are going in the right direction. I believe this is a beautiful picture of the sheepdogs that are representing goodness and mercy that are coming alongside or behind the fold and guiding. When I go bowling with Christians, sometimes I want to put up those Bumper bowler, the, the bumpers when we we're bowling, and so you can always get a strike. <coughs> but sometimes in life we feel like goodness and mercy are like those bumpers, and the reality it's not that at all. They're there to guide you and lead you, but also give you the freedom to make your own decisions. It's mercy. And when we fail and fall, mercy comes alongside and says, like, let's get back on track. And those sheepdog are coming behind the shepherd and the sheep, and they're, they're leading and pushing and persuading us as believers to go in the right direction. So what about this, Mr. Goodness? Who is he? What does he look like? I believe goodness is God's provision of blessing we do not deserve. He represents God's provision of blessing we do not deserve. Goodness supplies the needs. I think while we are worrying, God is working often. You see, goodness is there to take care of all those needs, even though we're worried that they're not going to be taken care of. And this is something really amazing about goodness. 
It, 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 sometimes he supplies the needs before they even come. I love that. I know that in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. And he said, listen, don't use vain repetition. Don't just throw out a bunch of words. It has to be intentional. But not only that, you need to understand that when it comes to prayer, that your heavenly father already knows what you need. In verse 8, the Bible says he already is aware of your needs. I'm so tired of worrying about things that I can't fix. I can't fix. I believe that there's people in this room that are worried about their relationship that they don't have yet. Who am I going to marry? Who am I going to date? They're worried about things that they can't control and they have to step back and realize that God's goodness is already working behind the scenes everything that needs to be worked out. And you're worried why he's working and you need to quit worrying. The goodness that Mr. Goodness provides in, the, in the, the, the wealth that he brings is supplying needs before they come and as big as they come. I believe that if we can get to the point in life, we realize that God's riches and his blessings are so big and so grand that we couldn't even add up to a, a small degree of what he can provide. We would be happier just letting go and letting him lead. When it's God's possession, it's God's problem. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. We are his possession. It is his problem. Why are we so stressed? Why can't we just let God work and trust the goodness of God to lead? I, I've come to the place in my life that I realize I'm going to do my best and forget the rest. Because if my best isn't enough, then I can't do anything. I, I, I'm spent. I need to realize that I'm going to do my very best and let the goodness of God work and do what he does best and, and fill in all the blanks. And I think some people in life, they get so frustrated about their finances and they're so worried about some things that they can't control and they're doing their very best, but they're so stressed and they're so anxious and they're so overwhelmed that they can't rest in the goodness of God. They can't understand the goodness supplies the needs. Before they come sometimes, as big as they come, God is working behind the scenes. If you do not get to the place in life where you can step back and realize that all your needs, God already knows. And he knows exactly how to supply them. Then you are going to miss out on one of the best benefits of being a Christian. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Goodness not only supplies the needs, but goodness sustains the blessing above what you deserve. I know the Bible is true when it says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto them, him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. What he's able to do is exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ask or think. I have not given God an opportunity to really work because I just didn't trust him like I should. In the beginning of my ministry, nearly 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, I, I, I had to get to a point in life that I realized that God is able to do profound things in my life, in my marriage, with my kids. Do you guys realize right now that we can get frustrated that we're still in the library and not trust God that he is working behind the scenes and preparing a perfect place for us to meet. We can get so amped up that it says, man, God's goodness. I mean, I see it in so many ways, but my, where is he when it comes to this? Where is he when it comes to the building that we need? 
And God sustains the blessing and he gives us what we deserve and it goes above what we deserve. Let me say this too. I believe that the blessings of God, when they come, they are not in such a way that you're going to feel cut short. I believe that God's blessings are so profound and so beautiful that He'll go above and beyond, exceedingly abundantly above everything that we ask or think He's going to blow us away with what He can supply for us. So Mr. Goodness, God's provision of blessings that we do not deserve, this goodness supplies the needs sometimes before they even come, as big as they come, as, as hard as it may seem. Goodness sustains the blessings above what you deserve. And I believe this too, this is important to understand. It's according to how you serve. This is where Christians get messed up. Sometimes our limitations of blessings are determined by our level of service. We want a handout from God. I believe it's sad Christianity if we live life expecting things from God but do nothing for God. It's pathetic. We're we're just existing as Christians and we're expecting God to do beautiful, wonderful things. And He does. And he, He does things that we don't even deserve. But if we get to the point in life that we're not serving God with all that we are and in serving Him with gladness, we're going to miss out on some of the blessings that God has in store for us. I believe there's some beautiful things that God has waiting for you and your family, but He's waiting on you. How far are you willing to go? I don't want to just be a fan. I want to be a follower. I want to go all the way. And when I experience the goodness of God, I know that He's going to go above what I deserve, but it's according to how I serve. I believe with all of my heart, That if we don't stop and realize the importance of serving God with our time, our talents, and our treasures, we're going to miss out on some incredible blessings in our lives. When I was, um, when I first started serving the Lord and I was young, just got saved and I was in Alabama, I wanted to get involved in the church whatever way I could. And I didn't know what that looked like. So I got involved back then. They had the bus ministry and they would pick up kids in the neighborhood. And I thought, man, if I could get a part of that, I'll jump in there. I want to be a part of the children's ministry. I want to do whatever I can. I just want to serve where I can. But sometimes I got confused because I was serving in areas that I just didn't fit in. And I wasn't happy with those areas. Come on. One of the best things you can do to experience God's blessing and, and learn where you can serve the best is to write down the top three areas that you feel like you can serve the Lord in. Those three areas that you can put your time, your talent, and your treasures in. Those three areas that uh, uh, um, complement your spiritual gifts. And then out of those three areas, you take the one that stands out the most. The one that you feel like that would be the most sufficient to serve God. Put it on a separate piece of paper and then write out all the ways that you can best accomplish that service for God. Because every one of us in some shape, form, or fashion have an ability to serve God, to, to do things for God that maybe somebody else cannot do. I, I, but we've not used that opportunity. We haven't taken advantage of the opportunity to serve God to His fullness. And I just don't want to go through life and miss out on the blessings of God Mr. Goodness, I believe, came in my life for a reason because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and he wants to bless me even in areas that I don't deserve and supply the needs before they come and as big as they come. And and goodness wants to sustain the blessings and keep them coming above what I deserve. But he also wants to be there 
along the way as I serve and continue to bless. Let me, let me show you this. There's not just goodness, but there's also mercy. Mercy is God's withholding of punishment that we do deserve. Think about it this, this way. Goodness is there to give. Mercy is there to save. Mercy does a couple of things. It gives us this undeserved grace and unmerited favor. I didn't deserve salvation when I was 14 years old, but God gave it to me anyway. Come on. Because He loved me just the way I was. Mr. Mercy is there during your moments of failure, and He doesn't judge you when you do fail. There's been times that I thought to myself, I don't deserve the grace of God. And why would God be so gracious to me? I, 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 I don't understand why God loves me in spite of myself, but it's because of this undeserved grace. Paul said, but my grace, but the grace of God is sufficient for me. Come on. I am who I am, he said in another passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians, because of the grace of God. I don't deserve it, but I am who I am today because of the grace of God and this mercy. But it's also not just undeserved grace, but it's, it's this unmerited favor. That, it, it, a beautiful way to look at it is, is we have a, a friend in Jesus, and that is the most powerful thought you could have as a Christian, to know that he loves me in spite of myself, but he not just loves me, but he's a friend. He's somebody that I can lean on, somebody that, that's there through the the ups and the downs. He is there to help me. And, and he, he loves me in spite of myself. Mercy. I've had moments where I've thought to myself and literally talking to God, mercy if you would, and said, God, I don't understand why you would show mercy in this area. I, 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 I just keep on messing up. I keep on failing. And it's like mercy whispers in my ear, my mercies endure forever. And then I was like, well, every day I get up and, 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 and I think to myself, I'm going to do great in this area, and then I fail. And mercy says, my mercies are new every morning. Come on. Because I love you. You see, goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy, they represent God. His goodness and His mercy that is given to us each day. David said, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good for His mercies endureth forever. You know, I was, uh, when I was in Florida, I was looking at this, these notes. My wife was putting together some of the slides. And she, uh, she said, Dave, this is a really unique message. It's not really a message that I see you preach very often, the way it's laid out. And I thought to myself, you know, this is one of those messages that doesn't seem very expository. It's one of those messages that seemed a little different and very simplistic. But I know for me, at this place in my life, I need to be reminded of the goodness and mercies of God. Because I can go from verse 1 all the way down to verse 5 and, 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 and see the blessings of God in multiple ways. But to know that goodness and mercy are with me every single day, that helps me move on. See those sheepdog that are coming behind the sheep? When the sheep drifts to the left, the sheepdog goes to the left. 
I saw a video. I thought it was so profound. I, I think they have it. I'll show you. This is an amazing amount of sheep in a field. But all the sheep know what direction to go because the shepherd's leading. But as you watch the sheep go in that direction, you'll see behind all the sheep, the sheep dogs. They're prodding and pushing. It's almost a reminder to say, keep going, keep going, keep going, because the shepherd knows where you need to go. Stay with the shepherd. Don't lose track of where you're going. Stay with the shepherd. Stay with the shepherd. It's worth it. He's a good shepherd. And I believe that goodness and mercy are the same way. They're always reminding us, stay with the good shepherd. Hey, his mercies and his goodness, they're, they're with you every single day and along the way. Keep on going. It's worth it. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. God's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Not only that, when you fail, when you fall, hey, his mercies are new every morning. Get back up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And these sheep tend to drift to the left tend to drift to the right because they're, they're not very smart. And whereas Christians, we're the same way. We tend to drift to the left and drift to the right. But those sheepdogs are saying, hey, stay on track. Follow the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. Goodness meets our needs, but mercy forgives our faults. Goodness cares for the temporal, but mercy cares for the spiritual. It's, it's goodness... That is, the, that is shown through God's love and kindness, uh, the bounty of God, but it is mercy is the love of God. Goodness leads to repentance, and I believe mercy leads to regeneration. It, it's the goodness that convicts us of our sin when we see how good God is, but it's mercy that offers restoration. Altogether, it's simply this. Goodness is the hand of God, and mercy is the heart of God. And... It is that goodness and mercy that will follow us all the days of our life and keep us on track. Would you bow for a word of prayer for just a minute? I don't know where you're at.